This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmsted, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association. And as we wrap up the first season of this podcast and I prepare to head out on maternity leave, I remain so grateful for this opportunity to take a deeper dive into the major education issues facing our state. All of this on behalf of the 120,000 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members represented by the OEA in Ohio. When we started this project back in January, our first guest was OEA President Scott DeMauro, talking about education in the age of COVID-19 and looking ahead to the state budget battle where the future of Ohio's unconstitutional school funding system could finally be decided. Now, six months later, the state budget battle is coming to a close. The Ohio House and Senate must come together to reconcile their two versions of the budget, including their two different plans for school funding, by the end of June. So it's fitting that we bring Scott DeMauro back in now to get his perspective. Thank you for joining us again, Scott. As we record this episode today, it is June 16th, 2021. Let's get everyone up to speed. Where do things stand right now with the Fair School Funding Plan and this decades-long quest to fix Ohio's broken school funding system? Well, we are at a critical stage. If you want to use a sports analogy, it's a football game and, and you know we've got the ball and we're down to the you know, inside the five-yard line. In fact, we might be at the one-yard line and uh, everything's on the line right now because we are in the final week to two weeks of conference committee negotiations between the House and the Senate. We have a plan that was passed by the House uh, that is broadly supported by education stakeholders across the state, administrators, teachers, education support professionals, community groups, based on three years of, of work and, and stakeholder input that really moves us towards a constitutional system that will help invest in a historic way in schools and fairly distribute state aid to school districts. You know, it's the Fair School Funding Plan passed on an overwhelming bipartisan vote in the House of Representatives. And then uh, really late in the game, uh, the Senate came in with its plan without any meaningful public input, without any education stakeholder support, uh, passed on a party line vote uh, that, that while it adds a little bit of extra money in the short term, does not make that long-term investment, that long-term commitment to uh, our kids. And we're being told that as the House and Senate are in these final negotiations, school funding is the big issue of difference between the two. So. So we have a chance to, to get the ball over the goal line and, and really achieve an historic win for kids in Ohio. But these next few days and, and week or so are going to be so critical in that effort. And I like that you brought up the differences between these two bills, because on their face, they both kind of look good for kids. They both give more money to kids, but they are so different. And one of them is the obvious choice for delivering the world-class education that our kids deserve. The Senate has been saying that their version, the one that doesn't fund anything beyond two years, is the predictable, sustainable model. But we know that's not true. No, in fact, you know, the Senate is, has, uh, I think, been disingenuous in some of the uh, objections that they've raised to the House plan. 
the house plan is sustainable over a period of time. It's, it's going to be fully funded in six years. Of course, we would much rather see, you know, everything done at once, but, but we know that that's how budgeting works, that uh, sometimes needs a little bit of time for the revenue to, to be there. But it is very sustainable. And most importantly for us, it is a funding system that calculates the base cost on the actual cost that school districts uh, face for providing a high quality education to every single student. You know, looking at class size, looking at teacher salaries, looking at uh, non-academic supports, you know, what do schools need as far as counselors and nurses, technology, transportation, uh, costs related to special education and English learner students. I mean, the whole gamut. Um, and embedded in the house plan is a mechanism for continuously re you know, reviewing those costs and making modifications as we move forward. The Senate is doing the same thing that politicians have been doing for decades, and that is coming up with essentially an arbitrary amount. You know, it's $110 more than what it was four years ago, $6,100 per student, as opposed to the House plan when it's fully phased in, which will be on average $7,200 per student. And what we saw with the Senate plan is kind of a, a classic move by Ohio politicians, and that is come up with a number that seems to be sellable, uh, seems to be something that, that politically we can get done, and then back in a rationale for why that number makes sense. And, and you know, this hasn't worked. The Supreme Court said four times that our system is unconstitutional because of an over-reliance on property taxes, uh, because it fails to adequately invest in our kids. We have a chance to really make a fundamental change here. It's really good for us that the champion of the House plan is the Speaker of the House, Bob Cup, who has been uh, working on school funding for decades, has all the credibility in the world on this issue. Uh, and the Senate, you know, just, you know, they, they kind of tinkered and, and they're doing what they're doing, but uh, it is wholly inadequate. And in these last few weeks of the state budget process, Bob Cup is uh, on one side of the table. The Senate is on the other side of the table. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think will happen with the fair school funding plan? And more importantly, what do our kids actually need to happen with this? Well, you know, one of the things that I haven't mentioned yet that's part of the discussion is that the Senate in its school funding plan, uh, in its budget proposal, uh, also does a, a turbocharge in terms of new money for private school vouchers uh, and really taking the lid off of charter schools, uh, including taking away some quality controls and, and uh, what are currently uh, limitations on where brick and mortar charter schools could open in the state. So the Senate uh, seems to have really uh, put a priority on continuing this move towards privatization. We know the Senate president has been one of the strongest champion of uh, privatizing our education system and, and uh, expanding school vouchers, uh, not just in Ohio, but, but in the country. And so, you know, we expect that there's gonna be uh, some really hard negotiations between the House and the Senate. Uh, on the one hand, what is the funding formula that makes sense for our public school districts for the 90% of Ohio's kids that attend our public schools? Uh, and then on the other hand, uh, what are the things that private school advocates are going to be uh, expecting, you know, and again, this is where the house is on the right side of the issue. 
because the House budget doesn't uh, expand uh, our current system. And by the way, our current system doesn't work and our current system is, already provides entirely too much money uh, for non-public schools. Um, but at least the, the House passed budget, you know, maintains current law on that. The Senate wants to do this expansion. In fact, the Senate's funding proposal increases public school funding, uh, the per student funding by one and a half percent, but it increases vouchers for students uh, attending private high schools by 25%. So just to get a sense of their priorities. So there are gonna be some hard decisions made on that. And I think, um, I don't have a crystal ball, uh, but I do believe that if educators, uh, if members of our communities, if parents and kids continue to speak out, and it's been so impressive uh, hearing the voices of education advocates from across the state over the past few weeks, you know, I think we have a real chance to, to achieve a big win here. And I'm curious, what's the governor's role in all of this? I, we've been telling people to, to contact their senators to make sure that they understand that the fair school funding plan is the plan for our kids, but the governor is going to be the person who ultimately signs the state budget. You know, ordinarily, uh, you would expect any governor uh, to be leading on this issue. And uh, our governor just has not. Um, you know, and, and we appreciate the governor. He, he has made a commitment to expanding student wellness and success funds, which really goes to uh, wraparound services, the kinds of, of supports that students need uh, and the partnerships that school districts need to have in order to provide you know, support for the whole child, including nutrition and, and healthcare and mental health and, and behavioral health, all those kinds of things. And that's all those great. things that are tied into the fair school funding, which by the way, there. the fair school funding plan does fund. Yes, yes, absolutely. But what the governor said at the very beginning, when he introduced his budget is he's not going to take a side on the funding formula. He's going to let the legislature work that out. And so there is uh, just a striking lack of leadership uh, that we're seeing out of the governor's office when it comes to the most important issue facing Ohio's kids. Uh, if the governor decides to jump into the game, you know, late in the process and weigh in, I think he can really make a difference because ordinarily when you're at this stage in the budget uh, discussion, it's a three-way uh, negotiation between leadership in the House, leadership in the Senate, uh, and the governor's office. Um, but I haven't seen, I haven't heard that the governor is showing leadership yet. Um, and I think that's why it's critically important that our members hear from the governor. Um, and again, the other thing that I'll just say is, as we're looking at all this, we have you know, Republican control of, of all three of those uh, institutions. Uh, Republicans have supermajority control in the House and the Senate. And of course, uh, Governor DeWine's a Republican. Um, but the thing that makes the House plan especially uh, appealing is that that is the only piece that has true bipartisan support. Um, so this isn't a House or a Democrat versus Republican issue. This is, this is an issue of what's the House versus the Senate going to do. Uh, and his leadership, I think, would be really welcome. Well, it's, it's not a Republican or Democratic issue because kids are not Republican or Democratic issues. What we care about is the future for our children. And I, I have to say, fair school funding has been all consuming for me lately. I eat, breathe, I sleep fair school funding, but it's not the only issue facing Ohio schools right now. What are some of the other big things that Ohioans really should be keeping an eye out on? 
Well, there's a number of things that we've been talking about and monitoring throughout this process, of course, and, and actually in the budget. One of the things that, that is good about the Senate budget uh, is that it does provide a mechanism for all three districts currently under state control, Youngstown, East Cleveland, and Lorraine, uh, to develop improvement plans and, and to get out of the ADC law, uh, which a lot of us know is House Bill 70, uh, which has just been a disaster uh, in, in our communities and, and is really unfair and taking voice away from, uh, from voters and voice away from educators just isn't the way to improve schools. So, so that, that's something that we're, we're paying attention to. We're continuing to work on, on testing reduction. Uh, we're continuing to work on reforming our broken report card system. Uh, at one point we thought that might end up in the budget. It doesn't appear that it's going to be uh, part of the, the state budget. So we're going to have to continue working on that. And then the other issue that's really uh, emerged in the last few weeks, um, and you can really trace this back to the middle of April uh, when a number of groups nationally uh, started, you know, creating a, a a movement, I was going to call it a grassroots movement, but a lot in a lot of cases, it's not really grassroots at all. It's uh, what we might call an astroturf movement in a lot of cases. Uh, but, you know, people that are looking to divert attention away from critical issues like fully and fairly funding our schools, instead are looking at opportunities to exploit fear uh, and foment division by advancing bills. And we're seeing, we see two that were just just received sponsor testimony yesterday in Ohio, uh, but there's a number of states across the country, bills that would in one way or another uh, ban the teaching of divisive issues and content related to race. We find that very, very disturbing. And I will say for me personally, uh, I went into education. I became a social studies teacher because I wanted my students to be good critical thinkers and problem solvers and decision makers so that they could be educated citizens in our democracy. And part of that is teaching students the truth, the whole truth about our country. As a history teacher, um, you know, of course, I have always taught the greatness of America, but also with that throughout our history, we've had a lot of problems and problems related to racial inequity racial inequality. Um, there are still vestiges of, you know, some people might want to think that slavery was a thing in the past, but the reality is that, that racism has manifested itself in so many ways, including in our education system. And we need to be talking about that with our students. We need to understand that in order to have an intellectually stimulating, well-rounded curriculum. Uh, but sadly, uh, there are some people that want to um, you know, again, create division around this issue, pass laws to ban things that aren't even happening in our schools, uh, really with the intent, I believe, of creating fear among teachers to just not even go anywhere near that stuff. And really, really, I, I talked to one of the legislators, they said, this is going to be, you know, a goldmine for attorneys who are looking to represent uh, parents, you know, who, who just if they're offended or whatever, and they, and they want to sue a teacher because they were offended by something the teacher's doing tied to their curriculum, uh, that's, that's what's going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's a mess, and, and we have an obligation to stand up for our students, uh, for what they need and deserve. We have an obligation to stand up for our members, uh, educators, and their academic freedom, and um, 
you know, respecting their professionalism and also standing up for a principle of local control of curriculum. These are, these are, you know, local school boards uh, create curriculum. And it's important for us to be engaged in, in local school board issues uh, in every single one of our communities. But, you know, the state's kind of trying to step in and, and, you know, put its thumb on the scale, at least some people are, and, and it's just wrong. It's wrong on so many levels. And so uh, that's an issue that we don't think is going away anytime soon. And, and so we need to speak out. And that's what strikes me about this. This is an issue where it's sort of a national issue trying to make itself an Ohio issue because our, our ground here is fertile for this sort of thing. But no one seems to care that much about the kids in all of this. It's the adults who are getting their feelings hurt. You have a 30-year career as a social studies teacher. You've worked with so many kids over the years. Our kids can handle the truth and they deserve the truth. That's absolutely true. And I will tell you that, um, you know, when I would hear from my students as, as they would finish my class or, or I would run into students, you know, after they'd gone on to college or, or gone on, you know, into pursuing whatever careers they were doing, um, they would come back to me and, they, and they, they would thank me for helping them think, think for themselves. And, and you know, it was never about my personal political agenda. I was always very, very uh, conscious about, you know, not interjecting, you know, my biases. But it was very important uh, for me as a teacher to help my students see multiple perspectives and also understand that you got to dig a little deeper than the George Washington and the cherry tree, you know, understanding of, of history to really understand the, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, because if we don't understand the problems that we face as a nation, how can we ever get better? As we talk to our family members and our friends and our colleagues about this issue, it isn't about saying that anybody is inherently uh, racist or anybody is inherently superior or inferior uh, based on their identity, but it is understanding that, that institutionally and systemically there are advantages and disadvantages. And it's up to us individually to recognize that in order to be able to overcome that. And, and you know, we, we as an organization uh, have made one of our core strategic priorities, educating and organizing our members around social, racial, and economic justice issues. This, this is uh, so connected to that. Uh, we know that sometimes those conversations are difficult. Uh, but you can't have that conversation if you don't at least start with a common understanding of the facts. And that's, again, why this is so important, because our students deserve to have the facts and then let them come to their own conclusions about what to do with those. I want to switch gears to another conversation that has really dominated all of our talks over the last year, and that's COVID-19. It's fitting that you are our first guest talking about the challenges of reaching and teaching students during the global pandemic. Now, as knock on wood, we are seeing the worst of that behind us. There is this pressure to do rigorous academic drills all summer long, get kids caught up from those disrupted learning opportunities. OEA is saying, though, it's time for a summer of fun. What's that about? Of course, we want to uh, do all we can to help address disrupted learning. And, and for a lot of kids and a lot of communities, you know, Summer enrichment opportunities, summer school, you know, is is appropriate. But 
we also know that in order for kids to be able to learn, you have to attend to their social and emotional needs. And we have all gone through uh, the most stressful year of our collective lives. Uh, it is not easy to be a teacher in a pandemic, to be an education support professional in a pandemic. And it's not easy to be a kid, a learner in a pandemic. And we hear stories uh, and we've heard stories in the debate about you know, how and when schools should reopen in-person learning uh, about the mental health uh, challenges that our students have faced, you know, dealing with isolation and, and the fear you know, connected with being in, a, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. So um, if we're really gonna get back on track and we're gonna try to you know, get back to some semblance of normalcy, which right now, as we see COVID cases dropping and more and more people getting vaccinated, you know, I think there's a lot of reason for hope and optimism. It feels now more like normal than it than it has in, in the last you know 16 months or so. But we've got to attend to, to those you know basic needs of students, and that means um, this is the time to recharge batteries, uh, both for our educators and for our students. Uh, this is the time to to kind of st take a step back, reflect, and really to have fun. I mean, Katie, you and I, growing up, that's what summer was all about, and we can't deprive our kids of that. Scott, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Katie, and thank you for the great work that you continue to do in this podcast. OEA members, you have a chance to show off your summer of fun and see yourself on TV. We're asking you to submit pictures of how you're relaxing and enjoying the break with your family, and we'll feature some of the photos on TV spots statewide. There's more info in the show notes for this episode. While you're there, hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss an episode of Education Matters in the future. And if you have thoughts on what you'd like to hear here in the future, send us an email at educationmatters@ohea.org, Or connect with the Ohio Education Association anytime. Just look for at OhioEA on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.